This morning, uh, I want to teach from uh, the Gospel of John, the 15th chapter, verses 1 through 8. You know, I'm always hesitant to say that one scripture is more important than another. But this is one of those that uh, you need to get right, that all of us need to pay attention to. There's a lot of meat in this uh, in these eight verses, and I'm just going to touch on uh, a part of it this morning. Gospel uh, John 15, 1 through 8. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that bears no fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. You are already made clean by the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself, Unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. If a man does not abide in me, he is cast forth as a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my word abides in you, Ask whatever you will, and it shall be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you may bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. Amen. This scripture, um, this particular time, Jesus is, it's like the evening before he's going to be crucified. So think about what's going through his head right now, as he, he knows what's going to happen. He's also, you have to think about, the fact that uh, the men that are sitting with him, he knows that one of them is going to betray him. He knows that uh, one of them is going to deny that he knows had ever known him, and the rest of them are going to all run and hide somewhere. Think about that as, as he is sitting there speaking these words. He, uh, he first starts that scripture off by saying that I am... That goes back to goes back to Exodus three fourteen, where God said to Moses, "I am that I am," or "I am who I am," and if you look in the Hebrew, um, there is no past tense to that scripture. So He's saying that I am the present, I am the future. There is no past, and Jesus here uh, is saying, "I am." He's taken the place of Israel. Israel was the original vineyard. Israel was the, the chosen people that were to be, uh, to do God's will and, and uh, to bring other people to God. But if you go to Isaiah 5, Isaiah 5, 1 through 7, you'll see where God is addressing the house of Israel after they had failed to be what he had chosen them to be. He said, I have, I have planted the most choice vines. I have built a watchtower in the midst, midst of it, dug the wine vat, expected a bumper crop of the best grapes, but it yielded only wild grapes. So Israel had failed to be what he had designed them to be. He goes on to say this, I will remove uh, my word, I rem will remove the hedges and it shall be devoured. I will break down the walls, and it shall be trampled. 
I will make it a waste and it will not be pruned or hoed and it will be overgrown with uh, thistles and thorns. I will also command that no rain fall on it. Think about that. God had chosen these people to be his vineyard, to be that that fed everyone else. And they'd made a decision to, to not do that. They had went their own way. God is willing to do that to those people. What do you think he's willing to do to us if we fail? We're no different. Here Jesus said, I am the new vine. No longer, um, no longer do we come to God through just being descendants of the Israelites. But we have a way to be a part of God, to be in God's grace through Jesus. As we do that, we bear the fruit, we become his child by abiding in him. When it says that Jesus is the true vine, in the Greek, the word true there actually means eternal. It's used many times as being eternal. So Jesus is saying, I am the eternal vine. I am that that which lives now and forever. I believe Jesus <clears throat> here is a <clears throat> the picture of the vine is, is such a great picture because the branches those of us that say that we are followers or that we are part of Christ have to depend upon the vine to get our energy. If we get our, our uh, energy and nourishment from anything other than the true vine, then we are not abiding in Christ. He said there in verse 1 <clears throat> that God removes every branch in me he removes every branch that was in him not a branch that was off of something else not <clears throat> a branch that uh, was just wild out there growing but every branch <clears throat> excuse me <clears throat> every branch that is in him that bears no fruit he removes <clears throat> and every branch that <clears throat> does bear fruit, <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes. In verse 4, he says, it's a command there when he says, abide in me, abide in me. He doesn't say, follow me, walk beside me. He says, abide in me. Now, the word abide there in the Greek, <clears throat> means to remain or to stay or to continue within. Okay? So it's, again, it's not like you're going to be following beside, behind him or beside him, but you've got to be in him, within him. It's not some special mis, uh, mystical, indefinable experience to be within Christ. Uh, we talk about being one with Christ all the time. 
and we need to take it serious. We've got to become one with him. We've got to take up the residence uh, within who he is to follow that natural order of, of living within Christ, to be present. You know, we all get thrown into worldly situations every day. We make a choice on whether we're going to stay there and reside in those worldly situations or whether we're going to step out of them. We make a choice. Just the same way as we make a choice of whether to be in Christ or beside Christ. Or to walk away from Christ. We make that choice. To abide is to take on the thoughts of Christ. To, to become literally identical to Christ. We'll never be God, but we're called to be identical, to be that authentic, certified copy of Christ when we're standing in front of someone. That's a tall order. Your every thought, your every action, reaction is that of Christ. But he says that if you don't do that, my Father will cut you away. I believe there's four things that we have to do to abide in Christ. The first one is that we have to walk in open confession of God. We have to actively surrender to God's will for our life. We can't go on and living in without, without confession. We can't go on living within sin without acknowledging that. The second thing is to allow the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. We have to let the Spirit take up residence within us. The Spirit must be the one that interprets what we hear and then leads our actions and reactions to life. The third is to be obedient. We can't be identical to Christ. We can't take on his thoughts if we're not obedient. If we don't follow his will for our life, we first have to listen to what God's calling us to, to hear and to know what God desires for our life. Your call, whatever it is, is not the same as my call. My call, part of my call is to stand and to speak and to teach. Whatever your call is, if, if it is not to stand in front of a pulpit, is no less important than mine. Everybody's call on their life is equal to the next person's. It doesn't matter what that call is. The fourth thing is to be in constant fellowship. We have to commune with God 
on a regular basis, daily, moment by moment. We need to have that open line of communications within our, within our being, within our heart, our spirit, that we are constantly talking to God. Read, pray, and to seek. I just think it's really important that we, we take seriously that scripture where he says that if we fail to abide in Christ, that we are useless. We are a non-fruit producing branch. And the branches will be, will be chosen to, to be cut off. And they're so useless that they're not even used for firewood. They're gathered together and they are burned. And he's talking about our life here. He's talking about what we do in reaction to those around us. He's talking about what we spend our time thinking about. What we spend our time doing. We'll decide whether we are a disciple or not. The word, uh, the Greek word for prune in this particular scripture, uh, if we use it in a farming context, it would be the same as taking a, cus a, uh, uh, a husk of corn and just peeling away the layers to get to the inner part, to get to the meat. If you use it in a, in a uh, you could say it was the same as tilling the ground, uh, preparing it to, for, uh, to be planted. If you use it in the, in the term here that he's using in the metaphor of a vine, he's referring to cutting off the shoots of, <clears throat> of the vine that are, that are in the way or no good or useless. <clears throat> in the first century, Palestine vine dressers would uh, remove the shoots that were not needed in several ways. They would pinch them off. They would take a knife and cut them off. Um, but what, what I found really interesting going back and looking at, at their procedure then was the fact that they wouldn't la allow a vine, a branch, to produce grapes for four years. So the first four years of that vine's life, they would prune it back so that it would continue to grow and become stronger and stronger so that it could support the grapes that we're gonna that we're gonna grow. Think about that. That time that's needed for us to grow strong before we can start to produce. Yeah. Pruning this pruning process is important. <clears throat> it's essential to growth. Um, cutting away the dead wood. The dead wood is is wood on the vine that is taking up space that healthy branches could grow. It's just in the way, so it's cut away. The overgrown branches are those that are growing in the wrong direction or in the wrong spot or um, may be weaker than the others, uh, but yet they may still be producing fruit. And I think this is the hardest part for me in this scripture is knowing that even though I may be producing fruit, it may not be that that God desires me to produce. And he will cut it away. So not everything that he cuts away is dead. 
I'm going to share a story with you that uh, happened to me over <clears throat> Canadian years ago um, that showed me the importance of pruning. We uh, raised our family out south of Canadian there, not out southwest, uh, not too far off the river, and uh, had a barn out about 50 yards from the house, and there, there's this locust tree that started to grow right there in front of my barn. And after a few years, I, I let it grow because it was going to be perfect to shade the entryway into that barn when you pulled up a piece of equipment right there and get right underneath that shade. I mean, it was going to be great. So this tree got up to about uh, 10 foot tall, and it was really a nice little tree starting to grow. And my wife came out there one day to the barn, and she's standing there looking at that tree. And she said, boy, that would be nice in front of my kitchen window. And I said, yeah, it's too big. We'd, you know, we can't move that tree. And, you know, obviously, I didn't want to move that tree because it was where I wanted it to be. And uh, after a little discussion there, <clears throat> uh, I said, okay, I'll bring the back hole home tomorrow and we'll move the tree. Uh, there's no need to become mortally wounded in a battle. You know you're not going to win, right? So I came home the next evening pulling a backhoe and uh, looked out there, and there was nothing there but a post with some little nubs sticking out of it. There was no branches left on that tree. And I go in the house, and I tell my wife, I said, well, I was going to move that tree, but somebody killed it. And she looked at me, that, that frightened look, and she said, somebody killed my tree? Yeah. They cut all the branches off of it. And then I got that look, you know, the look that says, go do what I told you to do. She had trimmed that tree. Now, this is, she's a farm girl, and a florist, and uh, not afraid to work. And she had trimmed all those branches off that tree. All those pretty branches that had those beautiful leaves on it were now gone. They were laying on the ground. I went ahead and dug that post up, and I moved it out there north of her, or to the west of her kitchen window. And I would take special care to be sure that she was watching me as I would water that post all summer long. And I would tell her that, you know, this was going to be a great corner post that I could fence from this later on. Well, after a few years, that tree was more beautiful than it had been before I went, before I transplanted it. She knew that if I moved that tree with all those branches on it, that I'd kill it. There was no way to get enough nourishment to those branches and leaves after being transplanted, and it would have died. Everything had to be cut away. There's, there are things going on in your life <clears throat> that will be cut away. There will, be, there will be fruit that you can identify that will be cut away. And that's to make you stronger. That is to help you grow 
And it's not because God doesn't appreciate what you're doing right now. He just knows there's something better that you could be doing. There is that different fruit. He calls us to abide in him so that we can receive the nourishment to grow. As you, uh, <clears throat> as you go through the rest of the day, as you go through the week, think about where you are abiding. From where do you gain your nourishment? Is it your bank account? Is it your education, <clears throat> your position in life, popularity, possessions, relationships? Some people think the church is their vine and they attach themselves to the church or to a denomination or to a, a religious system. Where are you getting your nourishment? And many of us run from God's pruning knife. Our self-love of our fruit keeps us from submitting to the knife of God's desires. And it doesn't matter where you're at in your relationship with God. It doesn't matter if you just come to him or if you have been a part of God's family working with him for him <clears throat> for years he will prune you he will cut away that that's unnecessary I think we should ask ourselves on a regular basis what now God what is it that you desire for me to do today? And if it's different from yesterday, it doesn't mean that yesterday's was wrong. It just means God has changed what he desires for you to do. So pay attention to the scripture. Don't just walk along beside Christ. Don't just follow him, but be within him. Abide in him. And know and know that God will prune you. He will cut away things out of your life so that you can produce more. Let us pray. Father, I pray that <clears throat> as we go through this day, as we go through our life, that we are conscious and striving to be within you and to take our nourishment from you and to become that child that you desire us to be. And Father, I know I'm not coming to you as willingly as I should to be pruned, but Father, I'm, I'm asking you to cut away that that doesn't belong. Shape me as you desire. Cover us with grace in Jesus' name.